Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. My name is Dan, and I'm on the leadership team here at, at Trailhead Church. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, I want to say welcome. We're glad, glad you're here with us. And uh, as SJ mentioned, um, next weekend is, is Easter weekend, weekend and uh, we're going to be having a Good Friday service uh, here at 7. This would just be a powerful time for us to, to meditate on, on the death of our Savior. Um, I want to let you know that child care will be provided at that, and the service will last about an hour um, and then we'll start the start the movie right after that. Um, and now Easter morning, we're actually going to be uh, pushing pause for a little bit on our series in Galatians that we're doing right now, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the resurrection uh, of Christ, and we're going to be doing a four-week series on that, and um, we're hoping that that will just be a powerful uh, look at the resurrection of Christ and, and the work that he has done for us. And so we want to um, invite you to take the opportunity to invite your friends, invite your neighbors. We're doing some, our community groups are distributing some door hangers um, to let people know about, about Trailhead. And as you, as you know, we, we don't have really much signage on the building, so a lot of people just don't even know that, that we're here unless they found us on Facebook or the website. Um, and so we're, we're sending out some door hangers to let people know we're here. There's also some of those out on the connection point. So if you have um, some, some friends or family members that, um, that you would like to make sure gets invited, feel free to, to take some of those and, and give those um, to those people. And uh, so this morning, we're continuing our series from the book of, of Galatians, our series titled Fighting for Freedom. And so what is this, what is this fight about? You know, what are, we, what are we fighting for here, what is this referencing? So this is a fight about preserving the truth uh, of the gospel, not distorting it or adding to it. So Galatians is a, is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the early church in Galatia. And so in this letter, what Paul is doing is he's confronting some untruths and distortions regarding how we receive uh, salvation, how we are restored to right relationship with God. And so I'll dig into that a little bit further in a bit. But first, I want to talk about what happens uh, when we believe untruths. How does that affect us? How does that, um, what does that do when we believe lies? And the truth is, is it affects our behavior. What we believe determines our behavior. And so in just a moment, I've got a video that I wanted to share with you this morning. And, and this is a video, and it's starring uh, some ducks, actually. And the ducks here, and you'll see some subtitles that will give some description, but in case you don't see those, um, the ducks were actually um, 
hoarded. They had been hoarded. Someone had, was basically collecting ducks and not taking care of them and never allowed them to experience um, the nature that they, that they were made for. And so there's an organization that, that came in and rescued these ducks, restored them to health. And what they're doing is now that they're back to health, they're releasing them into their natural environment. And so let's take a look and we'll see what happens there. I saw a Benny Hill episode that was just like this. There you go. So uh, what I thought was pretty interesting about, about this video is uh, we all know that the ducks are made for water, right? It's their, it's their natural habitat. And so for many of us, as we watch this video, there is a sense of excitement that we know that these ducks are going to get to experience their natural habitat, that they're being set free to experience, in a sense, life as, as it was intended for them. Um, and so we watch that and we think, well, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how, this is what these ducks should be doing, is experiencing the water. And see, these ducks have been deprived of something until someone intervened and until someone had set them free. Um, but what's surprising is, is their hesitation to actually experience their new freedom. If you saw, some of them were lovingly freed and, and thrown into the water for, for their good. And what did they do? They came right back out. They're like, whoa, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know this place I don't know what's, what's going on here. I don't know if this is safe. Um, this, is, this is dangerous. I, I don't want anything to do with this. And so they did some kind of follow the leader stuff. They got in, and they coerced them to get into the water. And what did they do? They got, they got, right, back, they got right back out. Okay, but then the ones that finally did take and said, oh, wait, wait a minute, this is different. And they began to experience the freedom of that, and they looked. We saw they looked. They looked happy, from as far as we can tell. Not sure how much emotion ducks actually sense, but um, they looked like they were having a good time, and they were enjoying it, and they were they were squawking all over the place, and, and diving and splashing water all over. And we see that, and we look at that, and said, "Okay, they're they're experiencing freedom that they were intended to experience." 
Now, some of you would be angry if I said to you now that, okay, well, these ducks got, got that chance in the, in the water. Um, but then someone came in and actually recaptured all of the ducks and said, nope, we're going back in the cage, and you're never going to get to experience that again. Um, so for some of you, especially animal lovers, that would make you angry, and you may even be willing to, willing to fight for that. Now, in our passage in Galatians, Paul here is willing to fight for something, and it's something that's, that's really important, something that he cares about deeply, something that he is passionate about. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is engaging this fight. And so as Pastor Steve introduced to us last week, what's happening in the chapter that we're in this morning is that Paul is engaging a clash of, of two cultures. Okay, there's two cultures that he's engaging. One is a culture of, of the Jews. Okay, and the Jews, in, God, in the history of God's redemptive story, the Jews were God's chosen People. Okay, the Jews were the ones that God gave the law to, and God gave them the Ten Commandments. Okay, remember Moses and Israelites coming out of Egypt. Okay, that's that's the Jews, God's chosen people, and so the Jews followed these rules that were given to them by God. Uh, and part of this was that they followed some pretty strict dietary rules. And and one of these rules, for example, and I believe. Uh, Jake mentioned this a couple weeks ago. One of their rules was that they didn't eat pork, and so they didn't eat bacon. And I'm going to give you guys a minute, and if some of you can't imagine a world without, without bacon, um, and so I want to let you catch your breath uh, for a minute there. But the other culture was the culture of, of the Gentiles. Okay? And Gentile, what that means is essentially not, not a Jew. Okay? So there's Jews, and then there's, there's everyone else. So everyone that's, that's not a Jew uh, is a Gentile. Okay, and the Jews, the Jews saw this culture. They saw the Gentiles as essentially kind of uncouth, rowdy, um, and just generally offensive. Okay, they found them offensive because the Gentiles didn't follow the rules that the Jews followed. So the tension here is between the rule followers and, and the unruly crowd, uh, in a sense. And what the Jews were saying in our passage, they were subtly saying, okay, you guys need to clean up your act, okay? You guys don't measure up, okay? You guys don't measure up to our standards. And so the scene in our passage is, is that of a meal. And so we see these two cultures that have come together, and, and there's a clash here. And we see two, um, in a sense, two heavyweights here. We have the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. Now, both Paul and Peter, both of these guys, okay, are, are Jews. Both of them are Jews. But both of them know, both Peter and Paul know in their heads that no one can obtain God's favor by following the rules. Peter's behavior, however, declared otherwise. What happens here is that the Jews had chosen to eat separately from the Gentiles. They chose to they fostered, in a sense, disunity as they avoided the Gentiles and were subtly communicating this message that you guys um, aren't acceptable. Okay, And what does Peter do? Knowing, he knows that we don't obtain God's favor through rules, but Peter shrinks away. Even though he knows better, he shrinks away and goes and sits with the Jews. Okay? So now, do you remember our, our ducks from our video? And re- remember how resistant they were to getting in the water? 
Um, well, the truth is, is that no one, we saw how those ducks at first, they, they went by the bank and they were avoiding the water at all cost. Okay, no one had to, to lock them up again. They weren't yet experiencing the fullness of the freedom that they had been given. It was their belief of whether or not the water was unpleasant or dangerous that was actually more powerful than the cage that they had been in, even though someone had lovingly tried to move them to the water, they were stuck and unable to enjoy their freedom. So they were free. They were free to get in the water, but they were stuck and unable to do so and not able to enjoy that freedom. So they're out of the cage, but they're nullifying, in a sense, the effects of their, free, of their freedom. Now, if the people in, in our passage this morning, um, if we tie in the metaphor of, of the ducks, Peter is basically being a duck out of water here. He knows what it's like to get in the water. Okay, Peter is one that has been in the water, in a sense. He knows what that's like. He knows his freedom to swim. But instead, he goes along with the ducks that are sitting on the bank and basically scowling at the ones who are enjoying the water. Okay? And see, we all do this from time to time in our own lives when we believe that God is asking us to perform in order to gain his acceptance. Instead of metaphorically dunking in the water, free, joyful, not worried about what everyone else is thinking, we're looking around feeling either pride or we can feel shame. And the freedom of grace is so much better than either of those options. And so this is where the Apostle Paul confronts Peter. Okay. Paul begins to point out that the underlying discrepancy here, the untruth that Peter and the Jews are communicating, that's what Paul is addressing. Okay? And that's where we left off last week. So this week, let's take a look again at our passage. Let's look at verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2. In page, I believe it was 973. Verse 15, this is Paul speaking. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Okay, Paul is being a little bit sarcastic here because this is how the Jews would have addressed the Gentiles. Kind of like, we're not, we're not those people. We're not like them. We're not those Gentile, Gentile sinners. Okay? Verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what Paul is saying here is he's confronting this. Is he's saying, Peter, Peter, dude, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. It looks like you've forgotten it, so let me preach to you the gospel again. And he uses a word um, in this passage that it's actually one of the first times that this is used in the, in the New Testament um, and following the timeline of when the letters were written. It's one of the first times the word justified is used. And this is important, and, and I want to tease this out a little bit so that we can understand it. Um, so just, justified is a legal term. And what it means, justification is the act of God by which he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Okay, so it means to be declared right before God 
and to receive his favor. So I want to give you an, an analogy to this, um, an illustration and how we can connect this. So imagine, uh, or for any of you that have ever, ever been to SIUE campus, okay, and you've ever parked in a spot that, that you shouldn't have, um, or ever not paid your, your parking meter, or you know, you've got a red sticker and you parked in the blue lot, okay, you know that, that the parking patrol there, they're quick. They're quick. Um, so you can pretty much be guaranteed that if you park in one of those spots, you're, you're most likely going to get a parking ticket. Okay, so imagine as a student, uh, some of you don't have to imagine, but for those of us that are no longer a student, um, imagine that you've gotten uh, a parking ticket. You park somewhere that you shouldn't have. And so you say, okay, yep, yep, I shouldn't have parked here. I, I know better. Um, so I'm just going to pay the fee and, and deal with this. And so you go in and you pay um, whatever the fee is, like 15 20 bucks, I guess. And you go in and pay that. And so you've settled that debt. You've, you've paid for that offense, you are now, in a sense, justified in regards to that offense in your relation to, to SIUE and, and their laws and their requirements. But then uh, it's end semester coming up for, for many of you, and you're ready to, to go and, and to get your grades. And so you log into your student portal, and you see that there's a hold on, on your grades. And you see that you can't actually access your grades because they say that, that you have a parking ticket that you haven't paid. Okay? And so naturally that would probably get you fired up because you know you've, you've paid for that. And so you go in, you take your receipt because you kept, kept your receipt, and you take it in and you prove to them, hey, I've, I've paid for this. Uh, this has been settled. So the, the fine was paid, and you can no longer be held guilty for that offense. You've taken, taken care of it. Okay? Now, how does this tie in to our passage this morning, and how does, how does God justify us? What does Paul mean here when he says justified? So in verse 16, Paul says that we're justified through faith in Christ Jesus. But why, why is it that we need to be, be justified? What is he talking about in being justified here? Okay, this is about acknowledging the truth that, that all of us are sinners, Okay, all of us are sinners. To be a sinner simply means that, that we've disobeyed God, that God is the creator of the universe. He's perfect in his holiness, and, and we have disobeyed him. We have sinned against him, placed ourselves where he should be. So we're all sinners. So guess that includes everyone. That includes me. That includes you. Everyone, everywhere, for all of time. Okay, We're all sinners. And God being perfect, God being perfect in his holiness, perfect in his justice, can't just overlook that. He can't just overlook the fact that we've committed, in a sense, cosmic treason. We've defied him. We've disobeyed him. Because if he stopped, if he no longer, if he just ignored that, he would no longer be perfect in his justice. He would no longer be perfect in his justice if he did that. Now, Scripture informs us that the penalty, the penalty for our sin, the penalty for our offense against God is, is death, an eternal separation from God. So it's a problem that we can't fix. There's nothing we can do to fix or earn back God's favor. Now, I mentioned just a second ago that, that we're all sinners, everyone, every person, everywhere, for all of time. 
except one. Okay, except one. And that one person was Jesus, God's son, who came to, to redeem us. And so he came, born of, of a virgin, a virgin, and he was sinless. He lived a perfect life. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't make it a few hours without somehow, somehow sinning. But yet Jesus lived an entire life perfect and without sin. Okay? Jesus did that. And then what Jesus did is we look towards, towards Easter coming up next weekend. Be reminded of what it is that he did. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin by suffering and dying on the cross, willingly submitting himself to that, taking upon himself the wrath of God, putting himself in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. And Jesus died in our place in order to restore our right relationship with God, in order to justify us. That's what Jesus did for us. So because what he has done, we now have restored relationship with the perfect and holy God. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. He says, Paul, don't you remember? Paul, don't you remember that none of us can earn favor, God's favor, by doing works of the law? We're all sinners, and we all need God's grace. We all need Jesus. The way that we obtain our justification is not by works, but it's by believing in Jesus and believing that he was the substitute and paid the full price for our sin. So Paul is reviewing all of this with Peter. Let's see where he goes next. Verse 17. Verses 17 and 18 says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. If you're like me, um, this passage was was somewhat difficult to to read through and understand. Okay, what's what's going on here? Um, What is Paul doing? What is he what is he saying? This is kind of confusing. Um, so what Paul is doing here is he's essentially reframing the question. He's taking an objection, and he's posing it as a rhetorical question. You see, Peter's underlying wrong statement is that he was subtly saying that the Gentiles needed to be like the Jews. They needed to be servants of God by being holy and by following the Jewish rules. He is communicating an untruth through his behavior. And so Paul's reply is, Peter, Peter, don't you remember? Dude, don't you remember that we're not justified by our works, that Jesus is the justifier of sinners? It's not the law. It's not about what you do. Peter, it's Jesus. Peter, if you try to bring back the rules, if you try to put the rules back in place as your means of justification, Peter, you're condemning yourself. Because we already know that the following the rules doesn't work. So why put something back in place that doesn't work? Okay, we already know that we can't be justified by the rules. So Peter, stop it. Stop it. It's ridiculous. Let's continue on, verses 19 and 20. 
Paul continues on, he says, For through the law I die to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, so verse 20 is, is one that can sometimes be taken out of, out of context um, and, and misunderstood. And it actually concludes the thought of, of verse 19. So what Paul is saying here is that the law served to wake him up for his need for a Savior. Woke him up to his sin and the fact that he couldn't turn to the law for righteousness. The law did nothing to save him. It simply revealed the fact that he was a sinner. So Paul is saying, I died to the expectation that the law could save me, that following the rules could save me. He says, I'm dying. I've died to that. So the law that the Jews hoped would bring them life actually brought them death by revealing their need. Paul is saying he died to that relationship, and now he has a new one. He has a new relationship, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I can die to trying to perform to earn God's favor. And so I want, to, I want you to hear something this morning, that, that this is about the fact that Christ died to free us from our need to perform. Because Jesus was perfect and substituted himself in our place, that contract has been fulfilled. Okay, that contract has been fulfilled. The law no longer has authority over us for our justification. Us receiving God's favor is no longer based on our performance, but instead based on Christ's perfect performance. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. So what does this look like for us? How do we see ourselves in this passage? Where does this tie into us now? So let me ask you this. How do you sometimes try to perform in order to gain God's favor? Is it through... Bible reading? Is it through listening to, to Christian worship music, or is it through um, praying? Is it through church attendance? And one way to, to reveal this is how do you feel when you haven't done those things? So is it either you've done, you've been good about spending time reading your Bible through the week, and so God, you're good with God, and like things are cool. You can approach him, you can talk to him, that he's, he's happy with you. But then when you slip and you don't do that, then, oh, man, God's unhappy with me. God, God is distant. I can't approach him. Like, I've got to figure this out. This isn't, this isn't good. And I want to make sure to communicate. Those are all reading your Bible, you know, being here in community, in, in church, and praying. Those are all good things. Yes, do, do those. I encourage you to do those. But the problem comes into place is when we think doing those things is what gets us God's favor. That's not, that's not the point. That's not the part, okay, that they, that they play. It's not about doing those things to earn God's favor. And God is not delighted or angry with you based on how you've done, how you've performed in those things. So what about, what about some cultural rules? So we talked about the Jews and the Gentiles are being a clash of, of culture. So what about some cultural rules that maybe we engage and we, we have these rules that we've established regarding this? 
Um, it can be things as simple as whether or not you wear a suit to church or whether or not you wear shorts. Okay, it can be about um, as you look at that, there are two sides to the coin there. You know, the, the people, those wearing the suits could pridefully look at those wearing the shorts and say, you guys don't measure up. What are you doing wearing shorts to, to church? And on the other hand, the people wearing shorts can look at the people in the suits and say, what are you guys doing? You guys are uptight, and why aren't you, you know, experiencing the freedom of wearing shorts? And pride can rise up in, in e- either side. Okay, that, that is weird that I just said that, freedom of wearing shorts, yes. <laughs> um, there can be pride on, on either side of that, okay? And so it's a cultural rule that we think might earn God's favor or disapproval, okay? Or maybe it's about what words you say or what words you don't say. Maybe it's about whether you drink or you don't drink. And this all ties back to performance and rules that we put in place to justify us. And the problematic outgrowth of this, that affects, it affects how we relate to other people. It affects how we relate to others, how we treat them. And this is what the Jews were guilty of in our passage this morning. They looked at the Gentiles with prideful and arrogant hearts. They forgot the gospel and they believed a lie about performance. And so the resulting behavior is that they were what? They were judgmental and they fostered disunity rather than unity. They forgot that just like the Gentiles, they were sinners in need of Christ. They forgot that they were also sinners, that it was a level playing field in a sense. And so one side of this coin is is pride, and that's what we see the Jews go to. The other side of this can honestly be shame. It can be shame. When we feel like we haven't measured up, when we feel like we haven't done what we needed to do, we carry shame and we hide. We beat ourselves up thinking that we've lost God's favor, and we wonder if we can ever find our way back because of what we've done or because of what maybe we haven't done. And so we try to do better and work harder, and when we can't, when we don't, we think God is unapproachable. So what's the big deal uh, about all of this? Where are we going? And so as we try to kind of start to land the plane here, um, I want us to dig in to the last verse in our passage this morning, Galatians 2, 21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here Paul is implying that the Jews were nullifying the grace of God. He's taking them to the logical outgrowth of their thinking. That when we believe untruths regarding our justification, we nullify the effects of God's grace in our lives. See, grace, when we say grace, we're talking about God's unmerited favor upon us. God delighting in us as his sons and his daughters. You see, God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance. It's not based on your performance. Every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, has already been paid for. It's already been paid for in Christ. And so I want to uh, just bring in a, another illustration here, um, kind of changing gears a little bit. And you guys remember this, this show, Extreme Home, or Extreme Makeover Home Edition. 
Okay, and the, the premise of this show is basically uh, they would identify a family that, that was in need, a family that their home was, was falling apart, and they couldn't do anything about it in a sense because uh, they just couldn't afford to. Maybe their home was destroyed by natural disaster. They didn't have the finances to, um, to do anything about it. Or maybe they had someone in their family had a, 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 an illness, and so all of their whatever finances they had were, was going uh, to medical expenses. And so in the show, they come in, and what they do is they, they remodel and in some cases just replace the house entirely. In a lot of cases, they just build them a new house, okay? And, and this is the, the title, like I said, it's extreme, okay? They don't just, like, replace the house. They, like, supersize it and, like, put in all these wild gadgets and all this cool stuff, okay? And the plan is just to floor, just to completely blow away and do things that this family never, ever could have afforded or probably even, even dreamed of, Okay, and so they come in and, and do this, and the big climax is at the end. And so the community has rallied around it. They've all pitched in to help and to do this. Um, they've they've tricked the house out. It's incredible. And at the end, they have the family standing behind this bus that's blocking their view of, of the home. Okay, and the big reveal is the bus pulls away, and the family sees the home that they're they're being given. Okay, and there's a sense that they're just overwhelmed by what has been done for them, something they never could have done for themselves. And they're overwhelmed by that. And a lot of times they're in tears. They're in tears, just floored, floored, never imagining that this would happen to them. Now imagine that scenario, and imagine the new homeowner walks up, and and Ty Ty Pennington was the host, and walks up and just kind of slides, you know, $1,500 in his hand, it kind of does that handshake where you pass somebody the money through a, through a handshake. It's like, thanks, Ty. This should, this should help cover it. Walks up and, and tries to give that to him when the home most likely cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in what they've done. It's almost like walking up and saying, okay, I've got some sweaty gym socks. I'm going to give you, give you these to pay for this home. Is it cool if I can stay in the home now? Or can I do some dishes for you? And then will you give me the... Give me the home. No. No, it's a gift. It's a gift for them to receive. And so this is kind of a ridiculous scenario. But the point that we're going with this is that they were to be overwhelmed by the gift. And someone that would walk up and try to pass, you know, a small, comparatively, a small chunk of change it's someone moving from gratitude, being robbed of the experience of joy and gratitude, and instead moving forward with a sense of entitlement. They're being robbed of the joy that was intended for them. And so this was kind of a, a made-up scenario, ridiculous scenario, um, but there's something just as ridiculous, in fact, way, way more ridiculous, that's being addressed in our passage this morning. You see, when we think we have to do something else in addition to what Christ has done for us, we're essentially saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough. Jesus, your suffering, your death for me wasn't enough. So here, let me come alongside and let me do something else in order to make up the difference, in order to to pay for the things that I've, that I've done. 
Jesus, thanks, your death. Um, thanks for that, but I need to do more. Okay. And guys, see, this would have rocked Peter. This would have rocked Peter because Peter loved Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus after his resurrection. He knew and understood why all of that happened. He knew and understood why it was that Jesus had to die. But yet his behavior didn't match up with what he knew to be true. Okay? So remember our ducks from the beginning of the service? You see, when we believe our need to perform in order to earn God's favor, we're like those ducks that have never been in the water. We're locking ourselves up through our beliefs and failing to live the freedom that God has given us. That We've been freed, in a sense, swim in the gospel of God's grace and encouraged not to nullify what Christ has done by putting our performance in place of his finished work. And so there are two ways that we can go with this in nullifying the gospel of grace. One can be that we can nullify effects of the gospel. When we believe, when we add anything to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. It's all about Christ. Our justification, our right standing with God is all through Christ. And so this is, um, this is something that I like to ask when we do membership interviews at Trailhead. That if you were to go and stand before God, and God asks you, should I let you in, or should I give you eternal life, so why? If you have anything to offer other than because of Christ, then, then you're missing it. It's only Christ. It's not because of what we've done or what we don't do. It's all because of Christ. We have no other answer to give than because of Jesus. And so when we add to the gospel, whether it's that we have to be baptized in order to be saved or we have to do X, Y, Z to be saved, we're adding to the gospel, something to the gospel that simply is untrue and takes away from the gospel and is no longer the gospel. Another way that we can take this is to nullify the experience of God's grace in our lives. That We move from being the grateful recipient to being the qualified performer. Okay, When we begin to put ourselves in that place where we're, we're like the duck standing on the bank. Like, okay, if, you know, this, this is what freedom's about. It's about staying here on the bank and, these, and doing these rules. And this is what gets us. And, and they're missing out. They're missing out. God invites us to, to get in the water, in a sense, to experience the freedom that we've been given. The result of believing the gospel is life. Now, I want to make sure to convey this morning that, that um, do we change as a result of our belief in Christ? Do we change our behaviors and the things that we do and we don't do? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we don't grow in, in holiness, that we grow in imitating Christ. Again, the problem is when we think that is what justifies us and what gets us God's favor. No, we do those things because we have God's favor. Okay? It's not what gets us God's favor. We have favor because of Christ, and that frees us. That frees us to be humble that frees us to foster unity in our relationship, recognizing that we're all sinners and we're all justified by Christ, all those that would believe in him. 
And so we get to experience joy and gratitude, recognizing there's nothing that we could do, but there's nothing we have to do. We only need to believe. And we get to enjoy rest and realizing we no longer need to perform in order to obtain God's favor. Now, some of you here this morning, um, maybe you've been in the place where um, you've never heard the gospel quite put this way before. Maybe you've grown up in or visited a church where you felt the pressure of, of needing to talk like them, needing to dress like them, maybe listen to their music. And if you've, if you've sinned, if you've done something you know is, is wrong, you've carried the shame, you felt rejected, you felt avoided, you've been gossiped about, or maybe you've had to hide in your shame and not let anyone know what it is that you've done. Okay? You've been carrying the burden of failed performance, and you're questioning this morning whether or not you can ever get God's favor again, whether or not he'll ever accept you again. The invitation is open for you today, that by believing in Christ, you are justified, that you are made right with God. You are declared righteous in his eyes, and you've been invited to enjoy that freedom. And there's some of us here this morning that um, maybe you've gotten a little off track with what you're believing, and you've started believing some untruths. Um, it's led to, that leads us to behaviors where maybe we look down upon others who don't measure up to our standards or don't fit our expectations to follow our rules. Um, or maybe you're, you're beating yourself up because you don't feel like you've measured up. I want to invite you this morning to remind yourselves of the gospel, that it's through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith alone that we are made right with God. And so when you put your faith, when you put your trust in Jesus, he looks at you, God looks at you as his beloved son, his beloved daughter, and he delights in you. And it's all because of Christ. It's not because of what you do or haven't done. And so don't nullify the effects of grace in your life. I encourage you to recognize your restored relationship with God. So as we move to closing this morning, um, in just a moment, we're going to take our offering. And this is a chance for our members and regular tenders to, to give sacrificially as, as we are a family and partners in the gospel and carrying forward the gospel message and, and serving our community. And so it's, a, it's an offering uh, to continue that. It's offering to God. It's an act of worship um, for our members and regular tenders. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we'll say we're, we're glad you're here. We want to invite you to fill out the response card that's been included in your bulletin. You can drop that in the offering basket. We would love to know that, that you were here. Um, and we also have some gifts for you out at the connection point, the table just outside the door here on, on the left. Um, we would love for you to, to take one of those gifts um, and to have that. And uh, also, for anyone, if you have a prayer request, um, we would like to, to pray with you. The leadership team prays over those every week. And so we would love to pray for you if there's something that, that you would like to invite us into um, and for us to join you uh, in prayer. But before we do that, um, I want to invite you to just consider some questions uh, this morning as we respond. So take some time to, to pray about these um, and let God speak to your heart and respond to these and then after that, after our offering, then we'll take communion together. The first question is, where are you trying to perform in order to obtain God's favor? What are you trying to do so that God is pleased with you? Secondly, what behaviors leave you feeling prideful or shameful? What things do you do or don't do that leave you experiencing these two feelings of, of pride or shame? 
And lastly, how do your beliefs affect how you treat others? Are you fostering unity or disunity? Recognizing that, that we're all sinners. So just take some time to process those. I'm going to pray for us, and then in just a moment we'll take our offering. Father, I thank you for your gospel of grace. I thank you for what you've done for us. That Jesus, you died in our place, took upon yourself the punishment for our sin. You did what we couldn't do, and you give us, you give us a free gift of grace. So Jesus, I thank you for that. I pray that our hearts would be challenged and God, that we would rest in gospel truth this morning, knowing that it's not about our performance. I pray that we would rest in that this morning. And if the things that we're feeling guilty of, may we recognize that we can confess those and that you will help us turn, turn from doing those things, but to do it from a place of recognizing we're already accepted by you in spite of those things, because those things have been paid for. So God, I thank you for that. Help us to remember your gospel this morning. Help us to believe where we don't believe. But help us to understand. Help us to know, God, your truth, to believe in what you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.